This morning we'll be reading from the book of Isaiah, some select passages. For those of you who are new to find Isaiah, you take your Bible, you open it exactly in half, and you should be in Psalms. Flip four over and you got Isaiah. Okay. The context of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet preaching to the ten northern tribes of Israel about 40 years before they went into exile with Assyria. So that's who he's talking to. The Lord says, These people came near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder, and wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in, dark, in darkness and think, who, see, who sees us, who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were taught, or, sorry, as if the potter were thought to be like cl- the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can a pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into fertile fields and the fertile fields seem like a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord and the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Strengthen the feeble hands, Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come and save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. They will, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back into utter shame. Hear, you deaf. Look, you blind. And see, who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one who committed to me, blind like the servant of the Lord? The words of the Lord. Well, make no mistake about it. Taking down idols is a tricky, dangerous business. That's what we learned from that movie, right? Yeah, have you ever really, have you ever seen an idol, have you ever seen some of these idols? You've all read National Geographic, watched a documentary, seen some. Well, let me, let me just uh, show you a few. Uh, a sky god idol that was found in the Arabian Peninsula. There you go. Um, how, about, how about this one? An idol of, of Baal, uh, unearthed near the Phoenician coast, dated around 1300 B.C. Um, and then something maybe a little more of the, from the era we're perhaps a little more familiar with, an idol of Athena. The goddess worshipped in the centuries uh, during Greek and, and Roman times. Now, what do you notice about these idols? What do you, what do you see about them? Any, any comments? Any observations? 
They're made of stone. They're in what? They're in the shape of man. Yeah. What else? Notice. They're not happy. You're right. Well, I'll tell you what the psalmist noticed. We've already read this passage today, but the, the ancient psalmist, he was a worship leader in the congregation of Israel, um, he, he asked this question, why do the nations say, where is their God? Now, why would nations say to the Israelites, where is your God anyway? Why would they say that? Because there wasn't, a, in, in the uh, Jewish religion, of course, images, idols are forbidden, right? The only images allowed, we've talked about this before, the only images of God allowed were you and I, right? But there's no idols. There's no idols that they worship. So for the surrounding regions, groups of people, they look at Israel and they go, they must be atheists, right? Because they don't have a God. And where is your God anyway, right? So that's why the nations surrounding Israel would say, "Where where is their God after all? Our God is in heaven. That's their response. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols, listen to these words, are silver and gold or, you know, sticks and stones and, and whatever they, you know, could find, I guess, to make it made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but can't see. They have ears, but cannot hear. They have noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk nor can they utter a sound in their throats. And then he brings it right down. He says, those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. That the way we worship, the who we worship, affects who we are. And from this we gather something very, very important. When people have worshipped idols that are deaf, idols that you know, have eyes but can't see and feet that can't walk and, you know, noses that can't smell. When, they, when they've worshipped idols that are deaf and blind and mute, that they themselves have become deaf and blind, mute. The people become like the gods they worship. And there's, a, there's something really important here. We've talked about it before, that is people made in the image of God. We were made to worship the God who created us and that as we worship the God who created us, we become more and more human. We become more and more who God created us to be. But there's a, there's a fascinating dynamic in there that as we turn our eyes away from the God who actually created us and begin to worship idols, that in some mysterious way we become like that God. We become like the gods that we worship. And this is a major principle all through Scripture. The nation of Israel, when it fell into idolatry, which it had a habit of doing, that, that would be what the prophets would, would, would call them back to, the worship of the true God. And it would, it would, it would criticize them, it would challenge them, because, because they've been worshiping the idols, they themselves have become blind. They've become deaf to the words of God. They've become unresponsive, hardened hearts. And the prophets would come to them and would challenge them to, to come back to true worship, to be restored as true humans. Because they've fallen into idolatry and as a result, they've become deaf and blind and mute due to their idolatry. Now, why do I say all this? We've been traveling through the Gospel of Mark, right? We've been traveling through this incredible uh, short story, the shortest of the four stories we have about Jesus. And, And Mark has tightly packed many stories together to give us this image of who Jesus is, right? The big, the big questions that have been dominating the first half of the book in particular have been, who is this Jesus, and can I trust him? 
Right? We've been asking that question as we've been traveling together through Mark. And we're getting right to the halfway point. Next, well not next week, sorry, week following, the next passage in Mark, something critical happens. And these series of stories that, that we're going to be looking at today set everything up. And it's connected to a theme of idolatry. Whenever we see people who have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, mouths but cannot speak, we instantly should know, as, 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 as Bible learners, as, as people who are you know, becoming students of the Scripture, we should instantly go, oh, idolatry is at work here. There's something going on here with idol worship. Now, maybe not literal idol worship, because that wasn't happening in first century Israel, but, but there's an idolatry theme going on here. And what Mark's going to do this morning is draw us, draw us from, from these Isaiah texts and other things going on in Psalm 115. He's going to draw us into this story and challenge us right at the base of who we are, whether we're blind, whether we're deaf, whether we're mute, whether we're able to see and hear what Jesus is doing or whether somehow it's just balancing off of us. So, with that important clue, this, this, this eyes and ears and mute theme, let's walk through a series of stories today in Mark. Now, I wrestled how to do this today because we've been going through, you know, kind of story by story through the Gospel of Mark, right? But today, the series of stories we have to look at today, it would not have served us well to just look at them individually. It's kind of like one of those massive pieces of art you'd find at a museum. That unless you go back about 50 feet, you can't really appreciate the whole picture. You know what I'm saying? That if we had gone in too close and we had just looked at one part, we would have appreciated what was going on there. We wouldn't have seen the whole. And so today we're going to walk through a number of stories. I'm going to try to be both quick but not so quick that it's like useless. Uh, We're going to walk through a series of stories. And the idea here is to stand far enough back, zoomed far enough out, with a wide-angle lens so that we can get to what Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is doing to reveal something important about us in order for us to see and hear and know Jesus. Oh, so are you you ready for that? Now, in the middle of the night, I kid you not, somewhere in the fuzziness of 2.30 a.m., I thought, there's going to be people there without their Bibles. I'm not putting all the text on the screen because that's just a no-no. So, I printed that for you this morning. Now, I know, Ange, can I borrow this for a second? I know. You're looking at this and going, arrows are not helpful, Tom. I don't have any idea what that says. I don't know what's going on. Okay? I realize I'm not a, not a graphic guy, okay? This is what I wanted to have happen this morning. We're going to get into this. I wanted you to be able to see how the first story and the last story connect, okay? So we're going to read it. We're going to look at these top two stories, which is the first and last right now. But this is the way the text actually goes. Smiley face. Okay, so this is the way, follow the arrows, that's how a text actually reads in your Bible. So, okay, I apologize if that's just not helpful, confusing, but we're going to walk through these stories today, and uh, we're going to look at and see what, see what Jesus says. So, let's start with these two remarkable healing stories that, are like, they bracket the center. And that's a really important way that biblical writers would, would put things together to highlight something for us. They would bracket things. So we're going to look at these two significant healing stories and see what's going on with this outer context, which will give us insight as we go into the center. Mark 7, 31 
to 37 is where we start. So Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. Remember, he healed uh, a, a woman's daughter who was demon-possessed. But he'd been hiding out up there, right? He'd been hiding, uh, trying to pour his life into his disciples because he needs them to get what's going on with the kingdom. If they don't get it, then uh, the whole thing's going to hit the rock. So he leaves the vicinity of Tyre, and he went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. And he's coming back to a region that has had the gospel preached to them through the man who was healed who had the legion of demons. Okay. Well, then some people brought to him a man who was deaf and can hardly talk. Whoa, deaf? Couldn't talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Now, now look at how Jesus treats this man. After he took the man aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. We haven't seen Jesus do this before. He put his fingers into the guy's... Yeah, thank you, Chris. Into the guy's ears. Okay, well, what I'm going to do next... What he does next, I won't do, Chris, though. Okay. <laughs> then he spit, and he touched the man's tongue. This is, this is very significant. Okay. He spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said, Ephatha, which means, be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them, this is common, he's done this before, he commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he commanded them not to tell anyone, the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute Speak. This is an amazing story, but before I make any more comments, let's go to the back story, okay? Let's go to that last story in this section today. Okay, when we read this story, I want you to think of the story you've just heard and notice how similar they are, okay? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by by the hand and led him outside the village. See similarities here? When he spit on the man's eyes, he's not done this spitting business before. This is like a new thing for Jesus, okay? Um, He spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I love that one. You're not even going to tell him to be silent. Just, just, just don't even go there, okay? These two stories are set very intentionally by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be parallel stories. And if you, if you put them line by line beside each other, you will see that they follow exactly the same kind of blow-by-blow account. We have a deaf, mute man and a blind man. Both of them healed. And, and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful story. It's an intimate story of Jesus. This Jesus who gets right down where this person's at. I, I love it. And there's so much we could, we, could, we could stay right here. I was tempted to. Stay right here and just talk about the intimate touch of Jesus. I mean, he even spit on the guy. You can't get much more intimate than that, right? And so he did everything possible. And people that had been noticed before, people maybe who had been mocked, uh, people who didn't understand what was going on because the guy was deaf, right? Jesus puts his fingers in his ears. He touches his tongue. He's, he's communicating with this man. 
He's communicating with this blind man. He's, he's, he's getting involved and he's making a difference in his life, in their lives. It's beautiful. This is the kind of Jesus who is being revealed to the story. This is the kind of Jesus who wants to touch your life. Now, that being said, I think we still need to zoom out further and see what's really going on. Because, see, these stories are prophetic fulfillments of Isaiah's prophecies and other prophecies. Prophecies that when the Messiah came, the exile would finally and really and truly be over. Because even though the people of Israel were back in the land of, of, of Israel, they were still under pagan overlords, right? And there was a sense growing in the people of God that the exile, yeah, kind of over, but no, not really over. And they look forward to this new exodus, this new exile. And the prophets promised that that would come. And one of the signs of its coming would be, well, from Isaiah. That when God had come to save his people as promised, then the eyes of the blind would be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. And do you know that this word unstopped, the only other time it's used in Scripture, other than right here in Mark, is the Isaiah 35 passage. It's the only other time it's used. It's like one of those unique words. So, eyes of the blind being opened, ears of the deaf being unstopped, and then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. God's people had become blind and deaf and mute. But they were stuck in a form of idolatry, but God had not forgotten them. And in Jesus, God had come to save them, to heal them from their blindness, their deafness, their muteness. That the kingdom of God had come and was overturning the kingdom of idolatry. And these stories, they, they indicate that. God is on the scene. He's making a difference. Yes, in this individual person's life, but for the people of God. He's come to bring deliverance. And this very significant, these very significant healing stories, they indicate that. But they bracket another group of stories. And Mark's intentional about this. He wants us to see what's going on in the center as connected to this eyes, ears, mouth being opened, being healed. So right in the center, we find these stories. Mark 8, 1 to 21. So let's, let's read those together, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, during those days, another large crowd gathered since they had... Nothing to eat, okay? Oh, oh, anybody who's been traveling Mark so far, you're getting deja vu right now. Jesus called his disciples to him. I love this, okay? So, big crowd, they're hungry. Anybody who's been traveling to Mark, you've heard this? Jesus calls his disciples to him and says this, I have compassion for these people, for they've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I think Jesus pauses there. Because he's kind of wanting his disciples to come up with the idea, right? I, I, think, I think this is discipleship uh, 102 or 201 or something going on here. Okay, Jesus has already fed 5,000 people before in a desert with bread and fish, right? We all remember that. And at the same, at the, in the last story, he asked, you know, he said to the disciples, uh, okay, these people are hungry and, and disciples couldn't come up with any ideas. And so Jesus said, well, how much bread do you have? And in fact, he did it all, right? So this time, I think he actually brings disciples together. And, okay, can you look, you look out here? Do you see all these people? They have nothing to eat. Open for some kind of an idea to penetrate their head. Nothing to eat. They've been with me three days. I have compassion on them. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. Another long pause. Because some of them have come a long distance. Another long pause. He's waiting. I'm convinced. He's waiting for his disciples to go, 
I know. Let's get some bread and have you, you know, pray over it and, and like, feed them all. Because you've done it before, right? You could do it again. I'm convinced he's waiting for one of them to say that. But they don't say that. They say, but uh, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Yeah, where exactly? I, I just think Jesus is a bit dejected at this point. He goes, how many loaves do you have? Uh, seven, they replied. And then so what we have following is a direct repeat of what Jesus had done before. Tells the crowd to sit down on the ground. Took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples to step before the people, and they did so. A few small fish as well, he gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. This is a very fascinating story because it's like a repeat of something we've already seen. Well, that should clue us into something. All right, the Pharisees came to Jesus and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. Jesus has just fed thousands of people in the wilderness. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighs deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. They come to him not from a place of faith. They come from him to him from a place of total rejection of his identity, of his kingdom mission, of what he's been up to. And in order to test them, they demand for a sign. And Jesus essentially says, if you can't see what's right in front of you, I can't help you. And then he left them. Got back in the boat, crossed the other side. There's a lot of the crisscrossing business, right? The disciples, love this part, had forgotten to bring bread. How many basketfuls? Okay, they forgot to bring bread except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. And remember, we talked before, these guys are always hungry, right? They're always eating something. They're always getting in trouble for eating something. So here they are in the boat, one loaf between, yeah, 13 guys. Not going to go very far. And Jesus says, be careful. He warns them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Well, they were a bit confused by this. They don't usually get Jesus anyway. They discussed with one another and said, ah, he's saying this because we have no bread. He's like, it's like Jesus' way of saying, you dummies, why'd you leave all the baskets on the shore for? You know? But that's not what he's saying. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you? Listen to these words. This is, this is like the center of what Mark is doing in this section of stories. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And then Jesus does this blow by blow through the two different stories we've had of the feeding of thousands of people. Jesus says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Well, they remember that. Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? And then what follows is the story of the healing of a blind man. This, these, these stories are meant to be read together. And so we want to stand out far enough that we can somehow see what Mark is trying to communicate about you and I, about us, about these guys. 
in order for us to move forward in knowing who Jesus is. These stories in the center are all about provision. They're all about trust. And they raise the question of trust, which of course is the question of idolatry. And what we see is a religious leadership, we've already run into them a number of times, who were so blinded by their idolatry, not literal idols, from what we know historically, the, the, the original exile that, that Brooke mentioned, is shipping all these people off to Babylon and Assyria, really did finally and once and for all cure the idol problem, as in worshipping golden calves and physical things among the people of Israel. When they came back from exile, when they came back in the land, that didn't seem to be a major issue anymore. But, these religious guys are blinded by what is really an idolatrous vision of what God needs to do or what God's going to do. Their vision of how the kingdom of God needs to come. And they're worshipping and trusting in this vision. And as a result of trusting in this, they cannot see what God is actually doing among them. They can't see what Jesus is doing. I mean, I mean, deaf people are hearing and blind people are seeing, but they can't see it. They can't make the connection because they're blinded by their own idolatry. The disciples are so deaf, so hard-hearted, that they, they've been you know, sitting with Jesus, they've been traveling with Jesus, they've been hearing all of Jesus' teaching, and yet they, they cannot engage His kingdom mission. They, they cannot see what He's doing. They, they can't even engage this, this compassionate provision that Jesus longs to provide for a people who are leaderless, who are people who are lost. And, and Jesus has to rebuke them severely in this passage, very severely, for being so deaf, so blind. So unable to remember. Just to read it again, Jesus, do you not see, still see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? That theme of hardened hearts has been going on in Mark. Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear, and don't you remember? These stories of provision right in the center and then the challenges that come afterwards are all stories where the main theme of idolatry is raised. People worshipped idols. They're, and you know, the idols could be you know, like, a, you know, like some of the idols we saw like a gold and silver statue, but the idols could just be a version of, of, of life that they're trusting that says, this is the way we'll be protected. You know, this is the way we'll be provided for. If we'll just do this, if we'll just live this way, if we'll just, um, you know, adopt this policy, they had a version of, of, of life, of, of the kingdom, that said, this is the way to protection. This is the way to provision. And, and that really is the whole point of idolatry. And you look at the, the idolatrous religions, if you want to put it that way, all through history, it's all about making sure that we're protected and making sure we're provided for, right? Good crops, good kids, you know, don't want the spirits after us, you know, all, all those things. Those are the sort of at the basic level. I want to make sure I'm protected. I want to make sure I'm provided for. And here, right at the center of this story, this group of stories, Jesus is shown as the one who truly provides, who has come with the vision for the kingdom of God, which changes everything. But the people around him, whether they're Gentiles or, or Jews, whether they're, whether they're disciples or the religious leadership, are, are too blind to see it, are too deaf to understand. The idolatry that's blinding the people of Jesus' day was probably a trust in their own kingdom agenda. And there's a lot of variations on that. The Pharisees had a, had a purity policy and a nationalistic vision that, that was running smack against Jesus' vision. 
and his way of peace. The, the Herodians that Jesus warns, you know, he says, beware of the yeast, the influence of the, the Pharisees, their vision of the kingdom, and, and the, the Herods, Herod, and his vision of the kingdom. And there's, there's others he could have mentioned. Herod had this view that they're, you know, through political compromise, a, a view that actually their family would be Israel's true king. All of these different versions. And because they would trust in that version, because they believed that was the way God was going to bring deliverance or bring freedom or do his thing, they were blind to what God was actually doing. And through this story, what immediately follows the story, just to you know, let the cat out of the bag, what immediately follows is the, the, the amazing sort of high point in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus asks his disciples, who are people saying that I am? And they list some options, and then he says, who do you say I am? And in this beautiful, spirit-inspired moment, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And what we see as Mark unfolds it all, he's saying, unless we deal with our idolatry, unless we let Jesus touch our eyes and touch our ears, we will never know Jesus for who he is. Idolatry blinds us all. And and that's, that's the connection for us. I know there's a lot of stories here. There's a lot we could have pieced together, we could have gone through. But when we, when we zoom out, we have to ask the question, what's blinding us? And what, what's making me deaf? What's making it difficult for me to trust in the vision that God has for my life? Who am I putting my trust in for provision? What, 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 what position? What, what's, where's my security? You know, and I know it's super easy at this point when we talk about idols. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's money. It might be money for you. But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's bigger. I think it's about a kingdom vision for our lives. I think it's about Jesus saying, look, your money. Are you joking me? I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your trajectory. I'm talking about everything you think that matters. I'm talking about the the, the things that you're holding on to because you say, man, if I let this go, I just can't live anymore. That if I have a vision, if I I do this this thing or I don't do that thing, somehow my life is going to crumble. And Jesus say, really? Really? Is that what you're going to trust in? Is that who you think is protecting you? Is that what you think is going to provide a good life for you? Whatever that is. And so the challenge comes right down to us that somehow in the midst of our lives we can find ourselves having somehow an inability to really see Jesus because we aren't always open to what He's saying or the the kind of life He wants us to live. We can find ourselves with an inability to actually hear God's Word, to hear Jesus' words speaking to us and saying, this, live this way. You know, follow me this way. Follow me into your neighbor's homes. Follow me out into the streets. Let me lead your family. Let me lead in your marriage. But because the way Jesus sometimes works isn't quite what we thought he should do or maybe what we thought should happen makes us sometimes at odds with this vision of Jesus. And we can find that there's something else we're going to trust in. That's idolatry. It makes us blind. makes us deaf. Well, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with all these stories? I think it comes right down to this. Unless we are willing, like this uh, deaf, mute man, like this blind man, unless we are willing to come to Jesus and actually let him touch, maybe even spit on our eyes, our ears, our tongue, unless we're willing to let Jesus get in so close that it's a little uncomfortable, 
Unless we're willing to let Jesus get in and begin to touch us, begin to move us, begin to penetrate the hardness of our hearts, or maybe just the blindness of our vision, or maybe just the smallness of our lives, unless we let Jesus into that, to bring His healing power to bear on our lives, then we're going to continue to be blind and deaf to what He longs to show us, to what He longs to do in us. The closer we get to Jesus, though, the more intimate we allow Him to be, the more we respond to what we are seeing, the more we come to know Him. And along with that, His incredible vision for our lives that outstrips any small, puny life that you and I could ever imagine. Outstrips any big life you and I could ever imagine. This kingdom vision of our lives being transformed, of our families being transformed, of our valley being changed, of the men and the women and the children in our family coming to understand that, oh man, I couldn't see it before because I was committed to to this or to that, but now I'm beginning to see this Jesus who changes everything. That's what Jesus wants to do. The idols around us, whatever that is in our lives, whatever we're trusting in for provision and for protection, they blind us. They blind us to Jesus. And it's only Jesus who can heal us from that blindness. You know, our visions for life, they can make us deaf to the very words that can change everything. And it's only Jesus touching us. It's only when we come and say, I am blind. I am deaf. I I need you, Jesus, to touch me. I need you to heal me. Do with me as you will so that I can somehow move beyond this and experience all that you have for me. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus. So it comes down to that one question. Who are we depending on to provide for us? Who are we depending on to provide us our vision for life? I think we could all answer differently for that. Maybe some similarities, perhaps. But each one of us know this is our vision of the good life. Who are you depending on? Whose vision fills your mind and your heart? It could be job. It could be family. It could be your vision of this is what my life should look like. It could be your intellect. It could be your bank account. It, it could be your free spirit and just the sense that, you know, everything will be okay. And you're trusting in, essentially, yourself or luck or whatever. The call of this text is to recognize our blindness and to know who our only healer and provider is. It's Jesus. And to come to Him and to trust Him fully, knowing that in so many different ways we are no different than the people of God from ages past. We wrestle with idols and we're blind because of it. And only Jesus is the one who can heal us. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a song. And it's designed for us to respond to what the Spirit is saying today. To have the kind of response that says, Jesus, I know. You know, even if I don't even know how I'm blind, it's probably because I'm blind. Even if I don't know what I'm missing, well, it's probably because I'm deaf. And so, Jesus, I want to come to you today and just allow you to touch me and to do with me as you will. To ask Jesus to reveal Himself to you. To ask Him to reach in 
and change whatever needs to be changed. What difference would that make? What difference would that make in your life, in your family? I don't exactly know. What I know in the text is that what happens next is a full revelation of who Jesus is. And it changed the disciples' lives forever. I think it'll do the same for you and I. We'll become a people who see in a world that's blind. Not that we see with a kind of arrogance or like a a kind of a sense that, you know, no, it's the words of the amazing grace, right? I was blind, but now I see. And and we want to get alongside people and say, could you you just just come and and meet this Jesus guy and, and just, if you could just see what I'm seeing, you'd be just so blown away. That we become people who hear in a world that's deaf. We become people who are able to speak in a world that's so often just mute. That we become, when we, when we let Jesus do what he wants to do in our lives, that we become a people who live in a world that's dying. And we live so that we can call men and women and children to know this Jesus who loves them. To know this Jesus who can see their blind eyes, who can see their deaf ears, and can heal them. That we become that kind of people. Not in arrogance, but in humility. Inviting people to come and to see and to hear and to know this Jesus that makes all the difference. And so the invitation as we sing this song is for you to simply pray, Jesus, touch my eyes. Jesus, touch my ears. Jesus, touch my mouth. Jesus, deal with the idolatry in my life. You can do that where you're seated. You can pair up and pray with someone. Or if you'd like, You can come and I'll be over there and I'm happy to pray with you as well. But let's sing this song in response to what the Spirit is saying to us through these stories in Mark and let Jesus touch us.